Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Hitman Chronicles Boxing Podcast. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver. Today, we're going to talk about the Oshaki Foster fight. Um, but before we talk about Oshaki Foster, we will talk about a fight that occurred two weeks ago on The Zone that I just watched for the first time a few days ago, and I've got thoughts on it. We'll talk about that. Um, so after we talk about the Golden Boy The Zone card that occurred two weeks ago in Mexico and Oshaki Foster's fight that just ended, I will then talk an extensive Ask Rob Silver Q&A session in which I answer thoroughly great questions provided by some of the listeners. I will give you an historical overview of Rocky Marciano's sensational knockout of Jersey Joe Walcott back in 1952 to win the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship of the World. And I've got a new segment on the podcast that I will do from time to time in which aspiring amateur and young pro boxers will talk about their career, their aspirations, and their goals as boxers. Today, I focus on a young Detroit fighter named Dino Cook. He will give you in his voice note why he decided to box his inspiration and what he wants to do with his boxing career. So that's all ahead here on Hitman Chronicles. Now, we begin the podcast with a card that occurred in Yucatan, Mexico two weeks ago that I never got a chance to watch until a few days ago. And, man, kudos to Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy. This was a great card. This was a great card, and we start off with the first fight. One of Golden Boy's uh, prized prospects, a young man named Aaron Silva. Same last name as mine, but no relation. He's Mexican. Um, I'm Puerto Rican. But Aaron Silva, he was 13 and going into his fight for another young prospect who... Less than seven days' notice was a replacement. Emilio Aguillon. And Aaron Silva was knocking everybody out left and right. And what was Aaron Silva's record? 13-0 and 0 with 10 knockouts. All right. He was being hyped as one of Golden Boy's brightest prospects. Ladies and gentlemen, the entire card. Golden Boy Live, October 14th, 2023, is available on YouTube for free. You don't have to subscribe to The Zone to see these fights. Emilio, Emiliano Aguillon is only 18 years old. This was only his eighth pro fight. And he put on a masterful clinic of boxing. Aaron Silva is your typical Mexican brawler. Emiliano Aguillon is a skillful, skillful boxer puncher, counter puncher. And he exposed Aaron Silva for being a one-dimensional brawler. Emiliano has a lot of raw potential. He's only 18 years old. Ladies and gentlemen, he's one of the best 18-year-old pros I've seen in a long time. Probably the best since I saw an 18-year-old Devin Haney and an 18-year-old David Benavidez. Emiliano Aguillon now. Golden Boy Oscar needs to take this young man under his wing and 
He's already proven he could beat another prospect. Keep putting him in the ring with other prospects. And I think eventually within two years, he could be at the age of 20 a contender for a world championship. The kid is that good. And the super middleweight division, which is aging rapidly, Canelo, Andrade, uh, except for David Benavides and David Morrell, they're young, they're young, strong bulls. I think Emiliano would be great competition in a couple of years. But then again, Benavides and Morrell, by that point in time, might have moved up to light heavyweight. Emiliano Aguillon is a name to watch for, and he thoroughly dominated Aaron Silva for the beautiful fight. Beautiful fight. Then we go on to the biggest robbery of the, of the year so far, in my opinion. Felix Alvarado versus Angel Ayala. This was a pathetic, pathetic, pathetic robbery. This was a flyweight eliminator fight. I think uh, the winner gets a shot at the title, at one of the Alphabet Soup titles. I don't know. They're all fr fraudulent, crooked organizations. Felix Alvarado dropped Ayala in the first round with a beautiful right cross. And I had him winning 8 of the 12 rounds. My final score was 116-111. He landed at will. And in the last three... Now, Ayala made a spirited comeback through the middle rounds. And I thought he dominated the middle rounds. But the last three rounds, he was gassed. And the veteran Alvarado, the former world champion... Battered and beat Ayala, beat him to the punch, outbrawled him, outslugged him, rounds 10, 11, and 12 to sweep my lap. Because I had it, I had it five rounds to four, very close going into the 10th round. And then Ayala swept the last three rounds, and my final score call was 116, 111. All three Mexican judges had it 114, 113 for the Mexican hometown fighter, Angel Ayala. They, all three judges gave Ayala seven rounds. Ayala barely won four rounds. Where the fuck did you get three other rounds from? This was a horrible decision. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to see this fight. Even though it will upset you to see the decision, Felix Alvarado beat this boy and got robbed. It is my leading contender for robbery of the year. This was horrible. Horrible robbery and... Man, Felix Alvarado deserved better. And whatever section and body section this eliminator needs to mandate an immediate rematch because Alvarado got robbed. It's sad. He may never get another title shot because of this horrible and hideous decision. The main event was a total mismatch. Miguel Burchell coming off two brutal beatings at the hands of Oscar Valdez and Nakatilia, Jeremiah Nakatilia, uh, knocked out a an Uber cab driver named Diego Ruiz. And well, he battered Ruiz for two rounds, and then Ruiz didn't come out for the third round. And the DAZN announcers were claiming that Burchell was back in the mix. Man, Burchell beat a fucking zombie. Burchell took is a one-dimensional brawler. Anytime he steps up against a an established elite boxer, he's going to get beaten from pillar to post. Period. 
End of story. And now we go on to the fight that just ended. Oshaki Foster's first title defense against Rocky Hernandez. Ladies and gentlemen, that was an incredible fight. Round 11 was the round of the year. Oshaki Foster versus Rocky Hernandez. All you heard on social media all day was that circus act. That fucking Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou fight. Ngannou knocked down Fury. I heard. I didn't watch the fight. I was at work. I don't watch circus acts. You'll be hearing a pre-recorded Q&A session after I talk about the Foster Hernandez fight in which I ripped the fact that this fight was taking place. The Tyson Fury Francis Ngannou match. I don't give a goddamn what happened in that fight. I'll never watch that fight. Now, get the circus crap out the way. Let's talk about the fighter of the week is Oshaki Foster. And the fight of the year and the round of the year was Oshaki Foster versus Rocky Hernandez. What a great fight. Kudos to Rocky Hernandez. He dominated the first seven rounds. I gave him the first seven rounds. He walked down Foster. He banged that body. Foster was moving, but Foster couldn't keep Hernandez off of him. Foster made a mistake. When he resorted to being a softball in the seventh round, he began to land punches and bunches. Then he got beat the second half of the round, and then he went back to being a natural fighter. The 11th round, he staggered Hernandez and almost knocked him down. Oh, before I get to that, the 8th round, finally I had forced to win. The ninth round, Hernandez was exhausted and he started moving. And this might have been the beginning of the end for Hernandez. He threw so many punches the first eight rounds with that brawling Mexican style of his, banging the body, hitting arms, legs, the whole nine, that he exhausted himself. He was very tired. And in round nine, he began to move himself and Foster began to... uh. Land that well. So rounds 8, 9, and 10, I gave to Forster. I had it 97, 93 going into the 11th round. Early in the 11th round, Forster staggered Hernandez with a spectacular left uppercut. Hernandez, whose eye was bleeding, now was bleeding off his lip and mouth. And he was out on his feet. And it looked like Oshaki Foster was going to come from behind because he was way behind on two of the three scorecards. He was ahead on one scorecard, way behind on the other two, which he needed a knockout. But in the midst of trying to finish Hernandez off, and Oshaki made a mistake. He didn't go to the body. He started headhunting, and he walked into a spectacular right cross by Hernandez off the ropes. And for the rest of the round, those two traded bomb after bomb, and they both hurt each other several times in the round of the year. An incredible round. And then the 12th round, Foster came out strong, and Hernandez was running. Hernandez had to still be hurt, and he was exhausted, and he was trying to run out the clock. Foster came at him, dropped him two times with brutal right crosses. 
Hernandez was out on his feet. The second time he got up, the referee should have stopped the fight because he wasn't raising his hands. Referee told him to raise his hands, and Hernandez was looking at his corner, a la Meldrick Taylor against Julio Cesar Chavez. The fight should have been stopped right then and there. The referee let it continue. Foster rained several shots before finally the referee stopped the fight late in the 12th and final round. A spectacular come-from-behind knockout win by Oshaki Foster. And what I'm going to say is the fight of the year in two months. At the end of the year, when I do my first annual Hitman Chronicles yearly awards, the fight of the year is going to be Oshaki Forster versus Rocky Hernandez, and round 11 is going to be the round of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, they need to do this fight again. Rocky Hernandez fought his ass off, and Oshaki Forster showed championship heart in retaining his Alphabet Soup 130-pound title by coming way from behind. It was reminiscent of... Pernell Whitaker way behind on the scorecards against Diablitos Hurtado and then almost killing Hurtado in the 11th round with one brutal left after another until finally the referee stopped the fight. This is what this fight reminded me of, the type of come-from-behind victory by Oshaki Forster. This was beautiful. This was brutal. This was violent. This was boxing. And a huge contrast to the goddamn circus act y'all was talking about Early in the day, fuck Tyson Fury, fuck the circus, fuck Bob Arum, fuck Top Rank, and fuck Joe Tessitore and Timothy Bradley. They can all go to hell, all right? Forster versus Hernandez was boxing at his best. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on to the Q&A. Oh, before I continue, the fighter of the week, the Hitman Chronicles fighter of the week is Oshaki Forster for showing championship merit, championship heart, and I hope he gives Hernandez an immediate rematch. Now on to the Ask Rob Silver Q&A session. And now on to the Ask Rob Silver Q&A session. Man, I've got some great questions. This is going to be another one of those episodes in which I expound greatly on the questions that are asked um, for you uh, great listeners out there that want me to answer your questions on the pod. And it doesn't just have to be boxing. It could be relationships. It could be football, bas basketball, baseball, movies, music, etc. On Twitter, hit me with the questions. Hashtag Ask Rob Silva. A-S-K. R-O-B-S-I-L-V-A with the hashtag in front. All right, let's get to the questions. And first and foremost, let me tackle this great question by my Philadelphia brother, the legend, Sugar Hill Rob. And Sugar Hill Rob mentions in his question, why is Floyd Mayweather so unpopular? He should have won this poll going away. Your thoughts, honestly, why he is not beloved like Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Now, the reason Rob asked this question, 
was because I did a poll. For you loyal listeners out there, you know that I've been doing the life and times of Muhammad Ali. Part 8 came out a few days ago. His historic fight versus George Foreman. Part 9, which will be the next episode after this one, will be on the thriller in Manila. And then the final part, part 10, in 10 days, will be his fight versus Ernie Shavers. And then the week after the, the Ali series ends, I begin my new 10-part Life in Time series on another great fighter. Now, originally, I was going to do it on Floyd Mayweather. But then I thought, you know what? Is that what the listeners want to hear? I mean, I could talk about Floyd's entire career blindfolded, right? <laughs> I've followed it. Since he turned pro in late 1996, I was 28 years old, all right? When my father and I saw Floyd Mayweather in the 96 Olympics, we both knew he was going to be a great pro. We didn't know he was going to be as great as he became, but we knew he was going to be a great pro. He was an automatic Hall of Famer when we saw him in the 96 Olympics. The same thing we thought of when we saw, when we saw Pernell Whitaker and Evander Holyfield in the 1984 Olympics. When we saw Roy Jones in the 1988 Olympics and when we saw Oscar De La Hoya in the 1992 Olympics. David Reed won a gold medal in 96. We thought he'd be a solid pro, and exactly what happened. His career ended very early after a ferocious beating by Felix Trinidad, and eye problems all but ended his career. Now, on to the question. But Oh, before we get to the question, the reason Rob asked the question was because I did a poll. I was going to do Floyd, the life and times of Floyd Mayweather, but then I thought, you know what? Let me let the listeners tell me what who they'd rather hear. Do they want to hear Floyd? So a week ago, I put up a poll on Twitter for one day in which I asked the listeners that are on Twitter, who of the following four do they want me to do the next tribute series on, the historical overview? Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones, Sugar Ray Leonard or Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I thought Floyd would win in a landslide. I was wrong. Floyd <coughs> finished last. Only a few people voted for Floyd. Marvelous Marvin Hagler ran away with the poll, easily won. And so the series in 10 days, the new historical overview 10-part life and time Life and times of Marvelous Marvin Hagler begins in 10 days because that's what the listeners asked for. I was shocked. I wasn't appalled. I cannot be angry because the listeners want what they want. They, they are, you guys are loving the Muhammad Ali series, and you guys will probably, hopefully, love the Marvelous Marvin Hagler series because I'm going to cover Hagler's career from 1977 when I started watching boxing until his career ended in 1987. The first episode I'll talk about what my father told me about Hagler's early career, but I will begin the fights and the watch-alongs and talking about his career from when I 
started reading about Marvin Hagler in 1977, Ring Magazine, International Boxing Magazine, World Boxing, etc. And when I started watching him on television in 1978, why isn't Floyd as revered, as beloved as Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Roy Jones, Mike Tyson? Hell, he's not as beloved as uh. I just, man, Roberto Duran. Why isn't Floyd beloved? I think it has a lot to do with Floyd's arrogance, but then again, Sugar Ray Leonard was just as arrogant as any fighter ever lived. Muhammad Ali was arrogant. Oscar De La Hoya was arrogant. Marvelous Marvin Hagler I never saw as arrogant. I always saw Marvelous Marvin Hagler as a humbled, hardworking fighter with middle-class work ethic who just wanted to prove to everybody that he was the best in the world and a lot of and a lot of people avoided him and I'll talk more about that in Marvelous Marvin Hagler's 10-part series that I begin in 10 days in order to be a great fighter you got to have some arrogance you got to feel like no one could beat you that you're the best and Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali Oscar De La Hoya, they all had that arrogance within them. So, is it the arrogance? Is it that he flaunts his wealth? Um, recently, he did an interview. Actually, it was a recording of an interview he did late last year. In New York City, Floyd Mayweather has invested in nine skyscrapers. And I believe he owns the, the biggest one around Grand Central, one Vanderbilt which is a historic building in New York City. Hey, Floyd has learned, one thing I got to give Floyd credit, he has learned the lessons of fighters in the past who squandered all their money, like a Mike Tyson. Sugar Ray Robinson was the first fighter I remember, my father telling me, bought up a lot of real estate in Harlem. He bought nightclubs, barbershops, salons, the whole, uh, beauty salons, the whole the whole nine in Harlem. But my father said that those were bad investments because nightclubs come and go. As you have seen with the nightclubs that, that piece of shit Puff Daddy and Jay-Z owned in New York City. Jay-Z owned the 4040 Club, which at first was doing booming business, but nightclubs come and go. Gotta give Floyd credit. He didn't invest in nightclubs barbershops no he invested in real estate and when you invest in real estate like hotels and skyscrapers that are office buildings that's revenue that you're going to see over and over it's going to multiply so floyd's business acumen i got to give it to him is on the same level as his boxing acumen whoever is his whoever are his financial advisors Floyd has made sure to hire the best. Just like Roger Mayweather was a great advisor and trainer to Floyd inside the ring, whoever is advising him is great outside the ring with his investments. And another thing I got to give Floyd credit, check out when Floyd first started his professional career at the age of 19 in 1996. His uh, verbiage, the way he spoke, 
he uh, he wasn't as fluent in the English language in the way he spoke. Today, when you see Floyd speak, he speaks like a politician. He's, he's phenomenal with his verbiage. Tremendous speaker. Why isn't he as beloved as Leonard? Well, no one's as beloved as Ali. No one. Ali is the most beloved fighter in the history of the sport. Internationally, Roberto Duran is beloved because he's a man of the people. D Duran in Panama would go into the gutter and talk to the people in the gutter. When I was 11 years old at a press conference for his fight versus Carlos Palomino in Central Park, my father screamed out to Duran, and Duran spent five minutes with my father, my sister, and I, took pictures with my sister and I, and spoke to my father in Spanish for three, four minutes. He spent five minutes with us. He's man of the people. Man of the people. Larry Holmes was there. My father tried to talk to Larry Holmes, and Larry Holmes, you know, you know, dissed him. Just said, nah, 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 I ain't got time, and kept walking. Duran had, had, had some arrogance in him, but he showed that arrogance in the ring. Outside the ring, Duran loved people. Does Floyd love the people? Ah, Muhammad Ali would jog through New York, would jog through Houston, would jog through Chicago, and tons of kids would follow him, and Ali would stop and play with these kids. You never see Floyd do that. Marvelous Marvin Hagler had the working class, middle class, working class ethic. Okay. People saw, people black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, ex Mexican, etc. saw that and loved them for it. Recently, Floyd spent significant money to buy weaponry for the Israel... Uh, army why are you doing that floyd first and foremost the united israel has an unlimited when it comes to getting money has unlimited credit unlimited credit with the united states the united states will def the united states government will defend israel whether they're right or wrong and whatever stance you take i know what stance i have but this is not the forum for me to speak on it Floyd, why are you doing that? Also, Rob, when Donald Trump was running for president, Floyd supported him. And Floyd even hung out with him in uh, Trump's apartment in the building Trump owns in the Trump Plaza. Look, whatever you decide politically to do, that's on you. But the majority of Floyd's of, 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 of Floyd's people, black people that enjoy watching Floyd fight were taken aback by Floyd supporting Trump and recently with Floyd spending his own money giving, buying weaponry for Israel when Israel didn't need Floyd's money. Why is Floyd doing that? I don't know. I don't know. But Ali... As I mentioned throughout my Ali series, was always a champion of the downtrodden. Marvin Hagler was a champion of the working class people. Roberto Duran, a champion of the downtrodden. 
Floyd came from humble beginnings. I know his father was a boxer, but his father went to jail. Floyd was poor. His father never made any money. Floyd was poor. And his father became a drug addict. His father went to prison. Floyd was poor. Floyd picked himself up and is immensely wealthy today. Immensely wealthy. I don't know what his estimated value is, but it's up there. The man is wealthy. He's wealthy enough where he could, if he tried to, he, he could attempt to buy a f professional sports franchise. But I think the regular boxing fan doesn't love Floyd because they see Floyd as them, the boxing fans, being beneath him. And then the way Floyd has conducted his post-boxing career with the circus act fights that he, uh, that he keeps having, these exhibition clown fights. Floyd is 46 years old, ladies and gentlemen, and whatever he wants to do to make easy money, if you clowns out there are, invent and I'm going to be speaking about a clown fight before it occurs here, on, here soon on this, on this segment, if you guys are stupid enough to spend money to watch him fight a midget karate guy in a boxing fight, go ahead. Hey, there's a sucker born every minute. Floyd exploits that, and I can see why regular people hate him and why he's not as beloved as the legends you mentioned, Rob. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. And... I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Rob. I don't think Floyd's ever going to win a poll. We may never see a life in times of Floyd Mayweather on this podcast because in eight weeks, I'm going to do another poll for the next series. And the four names on the poll are going to be Floyd. I'm going to keep putting Floyd on in the poll. Floyd, Roy, Sugar Ray Leonard, and instead of Hagler, since I will be doing the Hagler series, Hagler will be replaced on the poll by Thomas Hearns. Um... We will see. We will see. Great question as always, Rob. All right, on to the next question. Let me see. Let me see. What's the next question? Ask Rob Silver. Okay. Longtime friend of mine from U the UK. Mark Wren asks, thoughts on Fury versus Ngannou? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm recording this segment Saturday morning, October 28th. Friday night, October 28th, you have the circus act that is Tyson Fury versus Ngannou. Ngannou has no fucking chance in the world of winning. I'm tired of these fucking circus acts. Now I get, because I wasn't going to talk about this at all, but since... My man Mark Wren asked the question, and I try and answer all questions here on the Ask Rob Silver segment that is submitted through Twitter on hashtag Ask Rob Silver. I could give my thoughts without watching that fucking circus act. All right. You motherfuckers out there, you so called boxing fans, are going to watch this shit and the boxing media is covering this shit like it's a real fight? Are you. Mike Coppinger, are you fucking kidding me? This shit is a circus act. All right. Have you seen Francis Ngannou spar? 
This is a this is a mismatch. This is attempted murder on television. Now, Tyson Fury might do a Floyd Mayweather, like Floyd Mayweather did versus Conor McGregor and hold back on his punches and carry Ngannou. And Ngannou doesn't have a shot in the world. A UFC fighter doesn't know how to fucking box. All right? Not on the level of a world-class fighter. Not on the world level of the heavyweight champion of the world. And the WBC is sanctioning this bullshit? Mark, don't get me started. I don't cover circus acts and it's the reason why you will not hear a recap of that bullshit i don't give a fuck about the card i don't give a fuck about that fight is being held in saudi arabia and we go through all this mist of uh, the middle east strife and here we are in saudi arabia and then you got all these fighters mike tyson dimitri Bavall. Uh, you got entertainers going out there. Must be paid by the Saudi Arabian government because I wouldn't go out there. First of all, I'm not leaving this country. Right? Y'all could go abroad all you want to. Too many of my people are missing and beheaded. Hell no! It's a fucking circus act and I'm tired of these circus acts. Uh, at Showtime, what happened when they invested in circus acts? The last couple of years when they invested in Jake Paul and his clown ass shit. Right? You want to know one of the major reasons why Showtime is no longer involved in boxing? They took a bloodbath financing those pay-per-views. Enough said. If this fight makes a significant pay-per-view money, it will continue to show these circus acts that there's a market for this shit. This shit needs to end. Stop the bullshit. Thanks again, Markerin. All right. Next question. Okay. Um, first of all, shout out to the great uh, boxing writer and historian Matthew Aguilar. Um, someone posted, how could uh, Terrence Crawford go into the Hall of Fame if he never beat a Hall of Fame fighter? And Matthew brought up that a lot of great fighters are in. Because they're not, be, be, even though they didn't beat a Hall of Famer. I mentioned how Arturo Gatti and Donald Curry are in, and they never beat a Hall of Fame fighter. Oh, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's bullshit. Errol Spence is going in the Hall of Fame. Right? I don't know why you guys are claiming Terrence Crawford never beat a Hall of Famer. You're the same guys that were dick riding Errol Spence, saying that Crawford had no shot in beating Spence, and now you're saying. Crawford never beat a Hall of Fame fighter. Errol Spence is going to the Hall of Fame. Whenever you have a run, a six-year run of dominating the welterweight division like Errol Spence did, that's guaranteed going to the Hall of Fame. Donald Curry dominated the welterweight division for four years. He's in, and he never beat a Hall of Fame fighter. Okay, Errol Spence never beat a Hall of Fame fighter. He's going in. He's going in. If Timothy Bradley's in, and Timothy Bradley's talent's not a pimple on Errol Spence's ass, Errol Spence is going in. Okay, now. A great follow-up to my, to my comment about Gaddy and Donald Curry was from a uh, young man named Miserable Meals. 
and he goes, okay, but I've heard respected boxing voices, not sure if they vote, not sure if they vote, basically admit Gaddy's there because he was entertaining. In other words, if he wasn't entertaining, his resume alone doesn't get him into the Hall of Fame. Entertainment value is important. I don't want to minimize it. But the problem is not, is that now Gaddy becomes the bar for Hall of Fame entrance. If so-and-so boxer is in, always Gaddy, and now you can add Timothy Bradley to that mix, then why can't so-and-so be in? And I don't like that. And I don't trust the voters aren't prone to this type of thinking. Bingo. Great comment. And ladies and gentlemen, Arturo Gaddy does not belong in the Hall of Fame. He never beat a significant great fighter. He beat a lot of good fighters, middle-of-the-road fighters. He never beat a great fighter. At least Donald Curry knocked out Milton McCrory, to, who was a fellow uh, champion, to unify and become undisputed welterweight champion. At least Donald Curry twice beat Marlon Starlin, who's a borderline Hall of Famer, and in my opinion, belongs in before Gaddy or Timothy Bradley. Right? The two times Gaddy stepped up in weight, he got his ass handed to him, didn't win a single round. His fights against Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather, two of the greatest fighters of the last 30 years, beat him like the club fighter he is. Arturo Gaddy was nothing but a glorified club fighter who fought like a real-life Rocky Balboa. And Larry Merchant was masturbating while watching Arturo Gatti fight in these give-and-take fights. And then Larry Merchant, that old, I don't know how that 135-year-old bastard is still alive, would criticize God, real great fighters, real technicians like a Bernard Hopkins and Floyd Mayweather saying, eh, it's just, it's hard watching these guys fight. Uh, uh, they gotta do something. Well, I mean, okay, they're dominating, but you gotta give us something to watch, yeah. You know, I love when Floyd ripped his him an asshole during a post-fight interview. Larry Merchant hated fighters like a Andre Ward, like a Bernard Hopkins, like a Floyd Mayweather, because he considered them boring. Meanwhile, fighters like Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti. His dick got hard, and he was up there watching this, and he couldn't have enough. That's not boxing. That's that's gladiator barbaric shit. Gaddy's in the Hall of Fame because of, and Larry Merchant has a Hall of Fame vote, by the way, because of media pundits like Larry Merchant. Dan Raphael, that fat piece of shit, named his son after Arturo Gaddy. So get the fuck out of here! And you go. This tells you how much of a, 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 a of a of a man Dan Raphael is. He named his son Arturo after Arturo Gatti. Arturo Gatti, after his retired, became an alcoholic and a wife beater. He beat his Brazilian young wife so many times that she finally had his ass murdered. Good for her, and she got away with it. Fuck that piece of shit, Arturo Gatti. A death well deserved. And if you don't fucking like it, you out there listening, you don't fucking like the way I'm talking about Toro Gotti, I don't give a fuck. 
Miserable Meals, thank you for that uh, great comment. And, um, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head with your uh, comments. All right. Now, on to the next question. And this question is from my uh, loyal listener, Kobe. He's got an off-topic question, but I'm, I'm, I love these type of questions. His question is, is Better Call Saul the best, greatest TV show spinoff? Now, a lot of people out there will say Frasier. I've never watched an episode of Frasier, so I can't comment on Frasier. From what I've watched, Better Call Saul is the greatest TV prequel, sequel, spinoff, whatever you want to call it. Better Call Saul is the best that I've ever seen. Now look, The Jeffersons was a great sequel to All in the Family. It's up there, okay? Uh, Maud was a great sequel to All in the Family. It's up there. There have been a lot of great sequels throughout the year. Mark and Mindy was a great sequel to Happy Days. It's up there. But those are comedies. Uh, Trapper John MD was a great sequel to MASH. Great sequel. Great sequel. Loved it. Uh, Pernell Roberts really did a phenomenal job playing an older Trapper John. And how an older Trapper John became a, became a mentor to Gonzo, who reminded the viewers and Trapper John of a young Trapper John. Because if you remember on MASH, Trapper John was a jokester, a clown, who didn't take life seriously, even though he was a great doctor. Pernell Roberts plays... Trapper John 30 years later as an esteemed physician at a hospital, I believe in San Francisco, and years of wisdom has matured him. So Trapper John MD, very underrated sequel. Loved it. Under, underrated spinoff to a television series, a classic television series in MASH. That being said, Kobe, Better Call Saul is the greatest spinoff, prequel, whatever you want to call, ever off a television series. Vince Gilligan did a meticulous job of bringing up details from Better Call, from Breaking Bad and implementing them into Better Call Saul. The one thing, I heard an interview with him recently, uh, one thing that he really, really felt disappointed in, and this is how you know he's a perfectionist, was he could never put together the three wives that Saul had told Walt and Jesse he had. There's an episode in Breaking Bad, a scene in Breaking Bad, in which Saul tells Walt and Jesse... Man, I've been married three times. You know, I mean, you know, they took me for my money, whatever. You, you, sometimes you got to cut your losses. In Better Call Saul, they showed one of his wives, but he wasn't able to connect the dots and put two other wives in that series. That's the one thing he felt disappointed in doing. But a, a whole lot of other shit that was mentioned in Breaking Bad was implemented in Better Call Saul. When 
Saul first meets Walter and Walter White and Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Lalo made me do it. Lalo. The writers took that, and in the prequel, they wrote Lalo Salamanca into the show. And then, ladies and gentlemen, never mind the greatness of the writing, uh, storytelling, but the cast of Better Call Saul was just as great, if not greater, than Breaking Bad. You had, of course, the great Bob Odenkirk reprise his role as Saul Goodman. You also had Jonathan Banks as Mike and Giancarlo Esposito as Gus reprise their, their role. And you saw their backstory. They were the two most intriguing characters that were not Walter, Jesse, and Saul in Breaking Bad. And now you saw... Now you saw how they came to be who they were, how they began their criminal lifestyle. It was a great, great, great prequel and a great backstory to two characters that we were heavily invested and when you watch Breaking uh, Better Call Saul a lot of Breaking Bad fans loved Mike you love Mike even more after watching Better Call Saul you feel for him you understand why this police this former police officer became a hardened criminal you understood why and then the rest of the cast Michael McKeon Michael McKean, from Lady and Squiggy fame, from Laverne and Shirley fame, was always looked at as a comedic actor. He was phenomenal. He carried the first few seasons on Better Call Saul. He was the best actor on the show as Saul's, old, uh, Saul's older brother, and Saul's real name was Jimmy. His brother Chuck, played by Michael McKee. He was fucking phenomenal. As great as Brian Cranston or uh what's the young man that played uh uh uh, uh Aaron what's what, what was my man's name? Aaron Paul. Just as great as Aaron Paul and Walter White were in Breaking Bad, that's how great Michael McKean was in Better Call Saul. And then you had the guy who played Lalo, Tony Dalton, Lalo Salamanca. He played this charismatic, evil psychopath as great as anybody you've ever seen on television. And his scene with Gus at the end, they square off, is must-see TV. Michael Mondo as Nacho Vega made you root for Nacho Vega. Man, you know what? For those who haven't watched Better Call Saul, the entire series, every single episode is on Netflix. Go ahead and watch it. Another thing I want I want to uh, recommend on Netflix is the George Foreman biopic with Chris Davis as George Foreman. That's on Netflix too. So 
Rob Silver recommends those two uh, vehicles on Netflix. The entire Better Call Saul series and, of course, the big George Foreman uh, biopic. Kobe, great question. And, ladies and gentlemen, that ends the Ask Rob Silver session. Now on to my third greatest fight in boxing history. Now on to my third greatest knockout in boxing history, and that is the first fight between the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Jersey Joe Walcott, and the challenger, Rocky Marciano, held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Municipal Auditorium, September 23rd, 1952. And as I wrote, in my opinion, Rocky Marciano is, along with Arturo Gatti, one of the two most overrated boxers in boxing history. At five foot nine and 185 pounds, Marciano was an undersized heavyweight who built his entire career before fighting for the heavyweight title by beating stiffs and old men. His biggest win was a ninth-round knockout of a way past his prime Joe Lewis. Marciano was a plodding one-dimensional brawler who used his granite chin as his only line of defense. Going into a September 1952 fight with heavyweight champion Jersey Joe Walcott, Marciano was favored over the 38-year-old champion. Walcott's ascent to the heavyweight title was one of the toughest journeys to the title in the history of the prestigious championship. At the age of 31, Walcott was considered a past-his-prime journeyman with a pedestrian 29 wins, 9 losses, and 2 draws record. Then, all of a sudden, the crafty veteran from Camden, New Jersey, went on a 12-fight winning streak that earned him a top 10 heavyweight ranking. After splitting two fights with Elmer Ray and winning two out of three fights against future light heavyweight world champion Joey Maxim, Walcott earned a shot against the legendary heavyweight champion Lewis on December 5, 1947 at Madison Square Garden. Walcott put on the greatest performance of his career, thoroughly outboxing Lewis and knocking the legend down twice before being robbed of winning the title as Lewis escaped with a horrific split-decision victory. Walcott was granted an immediate rematch on June 25, 1948 and had success early on, including knocking down Joe again in the third round. But Lewis was able to wear down and knock out Walcott in the 11th round. Lewis retired after his victory in the rematch. Walcott fought Ezra Charles for the vac vacant crown on June 22, 1949. And at 35, Walcott seemed to be finished as a fighter as Charles won via comfortable decision. Yet, Walcott was able to secure two more opportunities at Ezra's title. After losing another clear-cut decision to Charles on March 7, 1951, the now 37-year-old Walcott received another title shot three months later. The third time was the charm as Walcott landed a left uppercut in the seventh round that damn near comatose as a Charles. Walcott, at the time, became the oldest man to win the heavyweight title. This record would stand for over 43 years before George Foreman became heavyweight champion at the ripe old age of 45. Walcott would defeat Charles via decision a year later in his first defense of his heavyweight title. Then came the night of September 23, 1952. 
Walcott dropped Marciano in the opening round and was completely having his way for the first 12 rounds. Walcott was an excellent counterpuncher who was able to exploit Marciano's aggression and lack of defense to land at will. Marciano was bloodied and his left eye was severely swollen. Marciano was being exposed as an overhyped contender until the shocking 13th round. Early in the fatal 13th round, both fighters were attempting right crosses at the same time. Unfortunately for Walcott, Marciano's landed first to his jaw. Walcott immediately fell into a fetal position as referee Charles Daggett counted to 10. One right hand totally negated 12 rounds of Walcott's mastery over the Brockton, Massachusetts brawler. It also began Marciano's three-year reign as the most overrated and over overhyped title reign in the history of the division. Marciano will knock out a 39-year-old Walcott the following year. It will be the final fight of Walcott's career. Marciano would defend his title successfully five more times before retiring in 1955 with an unblemished record of 49-0 with 43 knockouts, which is, in my opinion, the most overrated and padded record in boxing history. Yet, I give him credit for landing one of the greatest right crosses in boxing history on the night he scored his miracle knockout of Walcott. Now, ladies and gentlemen, next week... I will have a special episode because there will be no boxing recap show because there's no major fights next weekend. So next weekend, the regular Hitman Chronicles podcast will be a show, a historical over on the historical overview of the two greatest knockouts, in my opinion, of boxing history, in which I do my essay that I wrote. On both fights, and I will do a watch along and recreation of the play by play of both fights. So that's next week's, next weekend's regular podcast. Now, the next podcast that you will hear on the Hitman Chronicles feed will be part nine of the life and times of Muhammad Ali, his epic fight, the fight I consider the greatest fight in boxing history. The Thriller the thriller in Manila versus Joe Frazier. So the next two podcasts, part nine, Thriller in Manila, Life and Times of Muhammad Ali, and the two greatest knockouts in boxing history. Now, before I finish the podcast, I'm going to play a voice note from a young man, a young amateur boxer named Dino Cook. Dino Cook is a Detroit amateur boxer. He's 23 years old. He's going to explain how he got into a boxing in the whole nine. I just want to make a brief mention of his trainer. His trainer is Marlon Thomas, longtime Detroit fighter who at the age of 50 is still actively fighting and also owns gyms throughout the Detroit metropolitan area. Area, He is Dino Cook's trainer and coach, and Dino talks glowingly about him, and I just wanted to mention Marlon Thomas, who the biggest fight he ever fought in his career, he gave Vernon Forrest, and Vernon Forrest's prime, a hell of a fight in losing a 12-round decision. So, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, listen to uh, the young brother, Dino Cook, talk about his boxing career so far, how he began boxing, and what he plans on doing with his career. So, uh, sit back and listen to that. And before you listen to Dino, um, thanks again for listening. And I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing.
What's going on, man? My name Denario, Denario Cook. Uh, I go by Lil Dino. I'm an artist. Also, I go by Baby Boo. That's my ring name. Um, from Detroit, man. I'm 22. 22 years old. My birthday in nine days, so I'll be 23 on November 1st. Um, I just started boxing for real. Only been boxing for I say for probably about nine months, nine ten months. Finna be a year. Um, I want to know one knockout. It wasn't really a knockout. Dude just quit. It was a, really a weak ass fight. Honestly, if you want, if you want my honest opinion on it, it was a weak fight. But I got that win. Um, I went all the way to West Virginia to, to go fight. Uh, my opponent actually came in like twenty pounds heavier than me, so they had to change the rules. So it wasn't even considered an amateur fight. It was considered a semi pro fight, but it still count. So. Want to know? Um, started boxing. I actually started boxing. Um, I had did an interview uh, for a company called S Boy Promotions, um, and they like deal with a lot of a lot of sports, uh, media stuff like that. You know, community stuff. And I did an interview, and I talked to the guy that interviewed me and stuff. And me and him just chopped it up. And I always liked the boxing. Don't get me wrong. I, I love boxing since I was a kid. Like, I played sports. I played basketball, football. You know what I'm saying? I'm at, I was always an athlete. You know, I'm tall. I'm 6'3". Uh, I, weigh, I fight at 175, but I walk around at probably like 180. So, um, I had a conversation with him. He actually um, sent me He sent me to a coach. His name is Marlon Thomas. He is actually uh, he a pro boxer. He used to fight a long time ago. He used to fight with Tommy Hearns and all of them peoples. But he still fight. Like, right now, he's like 50. <laughs> so uh, he, I got in contact with him. He, You know, they, they gave me his contact info. And, and from that point on, like, I, I told him I was going to the gym. And from that moment on, I, I, I stuck to my word. I was going to the gym. Um, I'm, I'm not that – I'm not, I'm not like, you know, on a level of a lot of people. But, you know, I've – I got some skill, you know what I'm saying? I got some. I could fight. Um, and he's seen it, and he, you know what I'm saying? So I started training with him, with Marlon Thomas. Then I ended up uh, getting into a car accident a few months ago, so it kind of switched up my plans, like switched up uh, the gyms I was going to. You know, my, I wasn't able to get to many of them, especially the one that I normally go to because it's like, 45 minutes away from my house and I got one that's literally down the street so you know I just go to that one for right now um great coaches though very great coaches um my coach coach Carlos he's actually a uh he's a, a male driver he's a cool down-to-earth coach older guy um yeah man I'm from Detroit uh from the east side of Detroit I'm from Six Mile if anybody know where that's from know where that's at I mean Man, like what I what I want to do with this boxing stuff. Like I I wouldn't mind going, you know, pro and doing like some big fights or something. But I'm an artist too, so I'm looking like more to get into the influencer YouTuber route. But I also want to challenge myself, and I want some good fighters. Like I want to fight some good fighters, so I actually, you know, I fight fighters, people that fought before. The person that I fought. His name was Dakota Hilton. Um, he was, I think, like, officially on paper, like, 0-2 or 0-1, 0-3, something like that, or 
three, something like that. Um, decent kid. He wasn't. He wasn't really that good. He quit the first round. <laughs> it was kind of weak. Like I said, the fight is on YouTube. You can look it up. Look my name up, Denario Cook. Uh, I'm on Box Rec and stuff. Yeah, like I have a fight coming up November 11th. I don't actually don't have an opponent yet, but I'm pretty sure it's it's still gonna uh, still gonna be come to fruition because it's the same promoters. You know, I I've grew a, a relationship with them. Uh, they like me. They love me. They, they met my family. You know, so. I'm just I'm just training, man. It's supposed to be November 11th. I don't have an appointment. I'm just training. I actually haven't been in the gym <laughs> like lately for the past couple weeks because I've been, you know, just getting stuff together. My like I said, my birthday is coming up, so I got a lot of stuff to do. And I've had a lot of major setbacks in like with life. Like you know, I'm only 22. I had a rough upbringing. I've been taking care of myself since I was 15. You know, so um, I graduated high school. Uh, I'm in college right now. Uh, I took a I took a year off of college, but I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to go back next semester and finish. I got a year and a half left. I'm supposed to graduate this year, but well, I was supposed to graduate it last year, but you know, like like I said, a lot of life problems, a lot of life situations and issues that I had dealing with my um, personal life. So I'm looking forward to to doing boxing like full time. For sure. Right now it's just part time. I'm just doing it on the side, and I I like it. And um, I probably take my next two or three fights to see, you know what I'm saying, like how I am, where I am, and if I really want to keep going with it, because boxing is a dangerous sport. It ain't like basketball and football, man. It's a whole different ball game. But I love the sport. I like it, and I'm infatuated with it. So I'm definitely gonna keep it going. Stay positive. Um. If anybody like want to know something about me, man, I'm cool, dude, bro. Stay to myself, but I ain't going. <laughs> I definitely ain't going for nothing. Um, yeah, that's really it, man. From Detroit, so I'm like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was nice to uh, it was nice to 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 get you know. To get on your podcast, bro, and I appreciate the opportunity to let me get on there. Um, not really that known. I want to get myself out there in the boxing world. Um, I got a little name as like an artist in, in my area, you know, stuff like that. But I want to transition everything and I want to become a boxer like full time, like I said. So thank you for the opportunity, bro. Um, keep you updated on how my career going and stuff like that. And yeah, I appreciate it, bro. See you.